You are listening to Mark Hatmaker Rough and Tumble Raconteur. This is a grab bag of old school Western martial arts, resurrected indigenous ways and empirical musings tinged with a heavy dose of respect, admiration, let's call it hero worship, for these hosses of yore. All right, crew, coming to you from the Comancheria, let's talk a little bit about mob hits and bare fist, all right? We're going to talk about the, some empirically verifiable methods for determining the best striking surface of the bare human fist. But first, we need to take a little sojourn to remove that pesky whiff of dogma, tradition, legend, lore, and armchair theorizing that surrounds such seemingly simple matters. Okay, now this sojourn is going to take place in another violent realm, that of the mob hit. Now, those, those that have bit in the know about uh, the mobs, mafia, old school gangs, are likely aware that the preferred caliber of choice for mob assassination since the long-ago Chicago Tommy Gun days is the 22 revolver. Those even more in the know are privy to the information that often these 22s are adjusted to diminished loads so that they carry even less firepower than the standard 22 shot. Those also in the know will tell you that the hit is usually a double tap to the skull. Now, I ask you, why is it that if the professional killers prefer 22 caliber pistols, diminished loads of that, why are we, the never going to shoot anybody cadre, hopefully, are obsessed with calibers and weaponry over and above the 22? I'll give you a moment. Okay, now those in the know will counter uh, with this so-called very good reason. Then we'll say to you, well, mob hits are done with the 22s, Mark, because uh, the reduced firepower allows the projectile to rattle around inside the skull, do maximum brain-scrambling damage. Okay, sounds pretty good. Then I would probably ask them, why the diminished load? And they might reply, well, that's more of the same, Mark. If we reduce the 22 power even more, it decreases the chance the projectile will exit the skull and increase the chances of the brain-scrambling effect. Okay, yeah, well, that does make sense. I do ask, though, would not a higher caliber weapon do as much brain scrambling? I mean, would there would still be messy exit wounds, but the hit would still be a big cerebral mess. And then uh, I might be told that, you know, Mark, you need to stand down and realize these, uh, these mob guys, that know what they're doing, you know, trust the wisdom of experience. And they're probably right. Trust the wisdom of experience. The above explanation for my in-the-know compadre sounds on the money is, in fact, the good reason often offered for the diminished load in 22 caliber scenario. Now, the only exception to the explanation is, well, it's mostly wrong. What is correct is the diminished load 22. And, yeah, and double tapping. That part's correct. But all else, not so much. So you might be saying, wait, so mob killers use diminished loads 22s and a double tap, but they don't even aim for the skull? So what's the deal? I mean, how can this in the no explanation make any sense at all if none of that's true? First, let's do a little role play. I mean, let's say you were ordered to take someone for a ride. So in this scenario, you're a hitman, all right? Me and you. We've been told to do this. So we're going to take someone for a ride. And me, you, we pick up uh, the contract, and then we see to it that the, con- uh, the contract sits in the front seat, okay? Uh, you, I mean, your partner drives, and you, the shooter, you're going to sit in the back. Now, having to turn awkwardly over your shoulder from the front seat or shoot between the armrests, this is imprecise, correct? All right, so you need to be in the back, clear shot. So when it's time, you, the hitter, the one with the firearm, place the firearm on the soft tissue of the neck. And mob parlance is actually known as a neck job, okay? And you might be asking, why the neck and not the skull? Well, you, the experienced pro and old hand at these sorts of things, uh, sorts of things, have many a horror story of skull-deflected projectiles playing hell with the driver or ricocheting the back seat, which you now occupy. So you're not wanting to kill yourself or your partner. You, you want it to hit soft tissue and not ping-pong around, all right? So the uh, pros know a neck job is the wisest course of action. It does the job and you excise the uh, ricochet risk. Now, 
if the rattling around the brain's making brain mush thing is explanation no longer holds because the skull was not and is not the target, why the 22? And why often a diminished load at that? I'm asking again, why the 22? Why diminished load? I'm going to give you a moment. Think about it. You got it? Place yourself in that car. You are the trigger man. You're not at a firing range. No ear protection. Confined space. What happens to your hearing? You nailed it. Larger calibers will deafen the hitter. No one would choose that job. Showing up to pick up your contract with, uh, uh, with the earplugs in or taking the time to do so while on the ride, that has too many tells. Someone's going to notice that, all right? Diminished 22s and a neck job will do the job at a lower risk to yourself. Now, what does any of this have to do with the striking surface of a bare fist? I mean, I'm sure you're kind of ahead of me here. Legend, lore, mythology, and a smart-sounding bit of theorizing often get in the way of good mechanical or pragmatic sense. I mean, we've all heard some of these. Well, I was told to land this way with the first two knuckles. You can use them like a gun sight. Or, yeah, you see, you use these three because Dempsey. Or, you see, the vertical fist is the be-all, end-all because... And then after that, you hear all the wise-sounding, small-caliber, brain-pan-rattling explanations. We can, make most any, we can make most any tactics sound wise. We can make most any tactics sound pragmatic or sound cool. But when the rubber meets the road, a hitter places ass in back seat. When clenched fist meets hard bone, we damn sure better have more than a nice-sounding explanation for why we do something. It's best to have empirical, pragmatically tested experience from in-the-trenches veterans who know of what they speak. Better yet, if they provide subjective self-tests that allow you to know deep in your marrow bones what is in fact true and how hurtfully wrong what sounds good can be. We can so deafen ourselves with high-caliber myths that we will never hear the truth of actual experience. And that's exactly the sort of thing what the Black Box Project is all about. I know in uh, uh, Black Box uh, Volume 1, Raw 214, we provide seven self-tests to test your own fist caliber. And I think uh, also in 215, we move on with four more tests to do such thing. And that's how we should do all of our material. Whether you're following Black Box material or not, we need to self-test constantly to find out if these things are true. Sure, we want to be deep in the historical lore, make sure information is correct, and then not just uh, verify it where their sources put it to the test, and find out if it's correct for ourselves. All right? Take care of yourself, crew. Well, if you dig what we just discussed today, uh, I'd like to invite you to like and subscribe to the podcast. Hell, support it if you want. I'm not your dad. Do what you want. And if you're a glutton for punishment, uh, just visit our website, extremeselfprotection.com. You'll find links to the blog, all of our products, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more pages of like musics. <laughs>